Chapter Thirteen of Four Mothers at Chautauqua by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Forced into argument. With early morning, Eureka Harrison began to plan her new departure. For many months, Burnham Roberts had been the one to seek and petition for her company. Now she must meet him a trifle more than halfway. She must show him that she understood and appreciated his attentions. For a day or two she had scarcely seen him, but this, she believed, had been by her own arrangement. At the breakfast-table she challenged him to go with her to the hall to hear a remarkable woman. Those breakfast-table chats, by the way, were among the pleasantest hours of the day. Those of Aunt Ruth's party, as the younger ones called this gathering of the four families, who were staying at the hotel, had special tables assigned to them. Eureka and her mother, as guests of Mrs. Roberts for the season, were of course at her table, and as the morning meal was the most unceremonious, different members of the party straying in as suited their convenience, it often happened that Eureka and Burnham, both being laggards, breakfasted alone together, and planned their mischief for the day, Mrs. Harrison was once heard to remark in a discouraged tone. Eureka was well pleased that it happened thus on that particular morning. "'Have you been taking a trip to New York, or what became of you?' was her opening charge. "'I haven't so much as seen you for days.' "'I beg your pardon,' Burnham said genially. "'It is only two days since we had our latest quarrel. I have simply been pursuing the even tenor of my ways, devoted to my mother and Chautauqua as usual.' I had my mother out driving for one entire afternoon. I must do that oftener, by the way. It is better for her than so many lectures. Then I attended an excellent concert, which I believe you eschewed. Now that I think of it, you seem to be the one who should render an account. I have not seen you in any of your usual haunts. I have been very especially engaged with an important matter demanding solitude. I remember, now you speak of it, that I saw you out driving. Your mother had that pretty protégé of hers with her, did she not? Did you find her eyes as large as ever? Larger, if anything, and very wide open. I never knew a child to be so observant of color and form and beauty generally. It was interesting to note her delight in what we call the commonplace. Shall I have the pleasure of preparing this orange for you? While he did so, he was wondering what Eureka would think of the Pongee Code episode, all the details of which he perfectly understood. He knew that he would not tell her about it. Not yet, she did not know Hazel well enough to be sympathetic. But he believed that there was that in her which would make a good reliable friend when once she... He did not finish the sentence in his thought. Eureka was talking. It was time that he gave her undivided attention. "'Well, have you promised to take her driving again this morning? "'Don't have that orange, please. "'I like it better whole. "'Or will you go with me to hear Mrs. Wells? "'She is said to be well worth hearing.' "'Is that designed for a pun?' "'He asked with the slightest imperceptible shrug of his shoulders. "'Who is Mrs. Wells? "'Does she yeller cute?' "'Burnham, aren't you tired of that foolish word?' It doesn't mean anything, you know, not here at least, where all the public speakers are of acknowledged ability. Mrs. Wells is a lecturer. Oh, I think I have heard of her. A woman suffrage ranter, is she not? 
that is a shade worse than yell, I, I beg your pardon, than the average public reader. They were not getting on. Eureka was growing vexed. She was almost tempted to ask herself, if she possibly could, only she would not. That matter was settled. Mrs. Wells speaks on Mormonism, she said dryly. This time he shrugged his shoulders outright. Oh, Mormonism! Why do you let a woman come to a place like Chautauqua to maunder over that subject? What can she say that we don't know already? Go and hear her, and you'll discover. If all that I have heard about her is true, you know a great deal more than I fancy you do if you find that she doesn't tell you anything new. Clearly he was not getting on with Eureka as well as usual, and he should need her help if his plans carried. Why was he irritating her in this way, anyhow? He knew nothing about the Mormons, and cared nothing about them. Why not spend the morning in the hall if she chose? He pulled himself together and spoke in cheerful tones. Oh, I'll go and hear her if you wish, and turn Mormon if you say so, or do anything else this morning that your highness elects. I was never more entirely at your service. It occurred to Eureka, as she made ready for the lecture, that she had not managed herself at all well that morning. If they were married people, it could hardly have been worse. She had heard husbands and wives spar at each other, and catch each other up in the way she had done to Burnham, but engaged people she did not believe ever had such scenes, much less those who were not yet even engaged. She ought to be ashamed of herself. Then this inconsistent creature sighed over the dreary prospect before her of interminable years of breakfast-table sparring, perhaps, after they should become husband and wife. The hall was packed, and every outside seat was taken. Burnham was compelled to forage for chairs at a neighboring building. "'What people they are here to rush to things!' he commented as he came across the road with two chairs. Eureka's crisp reply was, that is because they find things worth rushing to. She is never sweet, Burnham said to himself, and he thought of one who seemed always sweet. The large audience was intent upon the speaker, who was a woman well fitted to command attention. No one would have thought of describing her as handsome, yet there was that in her face which attracted even the thoughtless. Perhaps it was strength of character that instantly drew one's attention, Perhaps it was the conviction that here is a woman to be trusted, to be relied upon. Burnham Roberts, who might have represented the most heedless of her auditors, whispered his first thought to Eureka. She will never be hanged for her beauty, will she? And was amused over the reply that she instantly flashed back at him. Perhaps she will for her brains. After that they listened. The strong, clear, penetrative voice fairly compelled attention. So did her use of the English language. Every word seemed to be marshaled into the place that had been waiting for it, and when the speaker closed, one man standing near Burnham in Eureka must have voiced the feeling of hundreds as he exclaimed, "'Every adjective that woman uses weighs a pound.' "'That is true,' said Burnham, smiling, "'and she knows where to place them.' "'Aren't you almost inclined to think you heard something that you didn't know before?' Eureka asked mockingly, as they moved slowly with the crowd. "'Well, if she is sure of her statements, she made some that deserve thinking about.' 
Did she impress you as a woman who would be likely to make careless statements? No, I can't say that she did, but that arraigning of the United States government was in rather bad taste, don't you think? If she told the truth, why shouldn't it be arraigned? Do no good. That will depend on how many thoughtful men were among her listeners who will go home to make their influence and their votes tell, as they have never done before. And also on how soon universal suffrage obtains, said an incisive voice just at their side, and Eureka welcomed and introduced Mrs. Blanchard, a class acquaintance. You think the women would set this thing straight at once, do you, if they could only vote? Burnham Roberts said, good-natured sarcasm in his tones. "'Oh, we'll help as soon as we get the chance,' was the cheerful reply. "'Meantime, a few more women like Mrs. Wells could accomplish wonders. What did you think of her four indictments against the Mormons, Mr. Roberts?' "'Rather fierce,' Burnham answered, smiling. "'Fierce? I should think so!' Isn't it dreadful to have an institution flourishing in the name of religion that is traitorous to the government which tolerates it? I'm glad she was able to prove her charge by facts. So many people seem not to understand anything about that part. I thought at first that her second indictment about there being a law-breaking set was too much like the first one, but she made her point all right, and wasn't she strong on her proofs? She could hardly help being, Eureka said. An organization that flaunts its immorality in the faces of the very children, even teaching it in their catechisms, is bound to furnish abundant proof of their law-breaking propensities. I wish all the men who content themselves by calmly stating that polygamy is a dead issue could have heard her this morning. They would surely be ashamed to ever say it again." As it was not yet a week since Burnham Roberts had been guilty of making that very statement, he appreciated the thrust. He did not feel like talking about the Mormons. In truth, his thoughts were elsewhere, but it seemed to be necessary to rouse himself to some word, so he said, "'Don't you consider her statement about the Mormon church throttling business absurdly overdrawn? I don't know of any legitimate business being interfered with by Mormons.' Mrs. Blanchard was aroused at once. "'Oh, Mr. Roberts, that's just the trouble. You men don't know. If you attended missionary meetings and read up on these points, as we women do, you would know how many times business is throttled by them. You didn't hear this woman yesterday, did you? Were you there, Miss Harrison? Oh, that's too bad. She was wonderful. Some of the incidents she gave illustrated this point perfectly.' Dear me, I could have illustrated it for her. I know a man living sixty miles away from Utah who allowed his daughter to attend our mission school. He was a member of the Mormon church, you understand, and was presently called to account for his dreadful sin. He had backbone enough to say that his daughter was happy there, and he meant she should stay. He was running a little store at the time, Mr. Roberts, how long do you think it took for the Mormon power to turn every bit of patronage from that store? Just two days. That is because Mormonism is so splendidly organized that they can reach their people all over the country at a few hours' notice, interposed Eureka. It is one of the excellencies that our voters admire. Burnham Roberts laughed. He recognized this also as a thrust at him. 
"'Well, that is one way in which they interfere with business. Another store was opened there by a loyal Mormon, and every bit of patronage straightway went to him. The man whose business was ruined moved to another town, and tried to get work by the week or day in some of the shops. Not one of them would have him, although they were advertising for help. He had been advertised as untrustworthy. Neither Mormon nor Gentile dared to employ him after that.' He went from town to town hunting work, in vain, until he got as far as Denver. Finally he decided to make another trial in business for himself in a little place not very far from Denver. He invested all his savings in goods to stock a little store, only to find that he could not get his goods carted either by railroad or horsepower. Then he harnessed his own team and resolved to get them there himself. Don't you see he had plenty of backbone? He was determined that the Mormons should not crush him because he chose to send his daughter to a good school. He started with his load for the little town and was never heard of again. People who know all about the Mormons are perfectly aware that mysterious disappearances are not uncommon. Wasn't his legitimate business effectually throttled for him, Mr. Roberts?' "'Isolated cases do not prove anything,' said that gentleman with dignity. "'Oh, isolated! I told you you did not read missionary literature. Mrs. Wells could spend every morning this week giving similar accounts of happenings that have come under her own observation. So could I, for that matter. I lived in a Mormon town once, and know by personal experience what I am talking about.' "'I don't care so much about the men,' said Eureka. "'Most of them went into it with their eyes open, "'or with plenty of chances to have them opened, "'if they cared to take the trouble. "'But I'm sorry for multitudes of poor victims among the women. "'What are their lives worth to them?' "'I know,' said Mrs. Blanchard. "'The poor foolies. "'Wasn't that an original sentence? "'Always when there are foolers, there are foolies.' That's a woman's rendering of Shakespeare, Mr. Roberts. Expressive, isn't it? The women needn't remain fooled if they don't like it, quoth Mr. Roberts, deciding to generalize, since he must needs say something. He was sorry that he said it. A storm of indignant protest rattled about his ears. When he could distinguish between exclamations, Mrs. Blanchard was saying, "'Dear me, you ought to have heard Mrs. Wells yesterday. "'She took up that point and riddled it. "'She has riddled a good many remarks "'that our dear politicians are fond of making,' Eureka said. "'There will be no excuse for a person who comes to Chautauqua "'being fooled by them any longer. "'That is one comfort.' "'Eureka's tones were so caustic "'that Mrs. Blanchard glanced at her in surprise "'while Burnham roused himself to contend.' Now, really, I should like to understand why a woman couldn't eschew Mormonism if she chose, just as she could Methodism or any other ism. It may not be the easiest thing in the world to do, but if she finds herself victimized and hasn't backbone enough to get out of it, she doesn't deserve sympathy. Mrs. Blanchard smiled calmly on him as she said, Mrs. Wells would tell you that the first all-powerful reason is that she has all her life been a foolie trained to it, and believes with all her heart, just because she is a fool, 
that her future life to all eternity depends on that one man to whom she belongs. What chance is there for such as she? Moreover, suppose she could by some miracle be freed from such shackles, enough to act, and could get away. Trained as she has been, how will she support herself and her children? Where will she look for direction and help? But we need not argue about supposed cases. Don't you know, Mr. Roberts, the history of those who have been brave enough to try to escape, and have lived to tell their own stories? They were not lacking in courage, were they? I am not arguing at all, Mr. Roberts said briskly. I am simply being entertained. I believe you two ladies think I am a Mormon emissary sent here to spy out the land, or at the very least a Mormon sympathizer, whereas the fact is that I have not the slightest desire to join that handful of curious people, and have no interest whatever in their peculiar religious notions. I am even prepared to admit that perhaps we have been too lenient of their follies, and that it is time for our government to look into their teachings more carefully. Am I acquitted? He was smiling, but Eureka knew that he was annoyed. Mrs. Blanchard laughed and said that she was glad that Mrs. Wells was converting him, and that it was quite time, for he must remember that the handful of curious people called Mormons now numbered considerably over a million in our own country, and were increasing rapidly. At that point they reached Ramble Avenue, and to Burnham's relief she remarked that she must leave them there. So once more he and Eureka were left to themselves. End of chapter 13